0: Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you, Christina, for that wonderful reading. This morning we, uh, we sang a song, one of those uh, few word songs Chad was talking about, uh, called Set a Fire. Is that the t- that's the title, right? Set a Fire. Set a Fire deep in my soul that I can't contain. And one of the lines is, I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Now let me ask you a question. Uh, When you sang those words this morning, did you mean them? Really, did you mean them? Do you really want more of God? Do you really want to experience uh, God in your life, a greater experience of God in your life? Sometimes I think, uh, yes, we want more of God's love. We want more of God's blessing. We want more of God's gifts. But do we really want more of God? Because when God comes... When God enters into our life, He brings all of Himself, not just the parts we want. Yes, He brings His love, but He also brings His commandments. He brings His justice. He brings His holiness, His righteousness, His purity. And His purpose in coming isn't just to give us some, some temporal, emotional experience. He comes that we might truly know Him and be transformed by Him. He comes to change who we are, to make us into different people, to make us who He created us to be, to make us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. So again, I I ask, do you really want more of God? And if your answer is yes, and and I pray it is, even if you don't quite understand all of what that means, I, I have great news for you though. God has already given you exactly what you need to get more of Him. He's revealed himself to you in his word, and he's given you access to himself through prayer. James writes, "Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you." But that drawing near to God takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. Last night, uh, I, I was finished with my sermon well, at least I thought I was. Uh, And so I had time to spend with my wife, and we chose to to watch a movie uh, called First Man. Have you seen the movie about uh, Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon? And I was just, you watch this movie, you watch the, the older version, the right stuff, if you remember that. Are you amazed by the time and the effort and the energy that these people put in to get into space? to get to the moon, to put a footprint on the moon. And you might have different opinions on whether that was worth it or not. My point is, there was a lot of time and energy that went into going to the moon. And, and And then I watched a few of the special features. You know, you get that with the DVD versions, the special features. And there was a lot of time and effort that went into making a movie about people going to the moon. I mean, people spend some serious time and effort and energy on movies, you know, and you can have various opinions on whether that time and effort is worth it or not. But I want to say this. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to spend the time and the effort and the energy in God's Word, in prayer, in relationship with God, drawing near to God to get more of God? Because that's what it takes, he doesn't just poop magic. It's not magic. He's given us the means to know him in deep ways. We have to take advantage of those means. And that's really what we've been talking about over the last couple weeks, what we'll talk about today. Over the last two weeks, we've been looking at, at this, this uh, biblical concept of transformation, of sanctification. We've seen how transformation takes place. And it has everything to do with experiencing more of God in our lives. Let me read the main scripture we focused on uh, over the past couple of weeks. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. From this comes the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, one of the things I don't like about, uh, well, I do like it, but one of the things that sometimes I don't like about preaching is it tends to be a, a single, you know, it's just me talking to you. And so I like every once in a while to to ask for a little response, okay? So are you guys up for that? This is uh, more of a class time. Based on these verses... And so I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to have the questions up there. If you have a Bible, you might want to get those out because that is going to disappear. And I'm going to ask you some questions about those. So there's Bibles around. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, verse 18. I'm going to ask some questions to help us review. And this is going to lead into what we're going to talk about. That we've laid the foundation for two weeks and now we're going to start getting practical. But we need to remind us of that foundation we laid. So, uh, what two things, is first question, what two things must take place before transformation in our lives begins? We must turn to the Lord first and then, hint, the veil is removed. So, first we turn to the Lord, we trust in the Lord, we give our lives to Christ, He becomes our Lord and Savior, and because of that, our veil is removed. What does this veil represent? The separation. I use the word barrier. It's sort of this barrier, and 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 this isn't up there, but uh, how is this barrier removed? Through 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 Christ, right? It's the barrier is caused because of our sin, right? Because of our sin, we are separated from God. But through Jesus Christ, the barrier is removed. So. Switch a little bit. So what are we being, once our veil is removed, once we've trusted in the Lord, veil is removed, no barriers, what are we being transformed into? The same image, the image of God, the image of Jesus Christ. Remember Romans 8, 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So who causes uh, transformation in our lives? The Lord who is the Spirit. So it's God's work by God's grace through Christ. How does God bring about transformation? Through the Holy Spirit, through specifically the verse, if you've got it. We've been talking about it. Beholding the glory of God. That's what it says there. So what is the glory of God? Next question. everything about God. Man, I'm glad you came today, Dad. Uh, Yeah. His infinite worth, his his everything he is, everything he does, his attributes, his nature, his mighty deeds. And, And where do we behold his glory? In his word. Now, we said, you know, you can see the glory of God in nature, but all of that is a little limited. We could draw wrong conclusions about that, about God from other things. But Primarily, He's revealed who He is and what He does through His Word. He's revealed His glory through His Word. Therefore, final question, what must we do? What is our part? How do we draw near, if you will, in order to experience transformation into the image of Jesus Christ? Know and read His Word. Behold His glory in His Word. Experience God through His Word. Uh, draw near to God through His Word. And I would add prayer. We're going to talk mainly about the Word today, but in coming weeks, we'll, we'll bring prayer into that too. It's, it's, it's vital. And that doesn't just mean, though, reading the Bible. We've talked about this. It means taking God's Word in, taking it in in such a way that we behold His glory. We see who God is. We experience God. And through that experience of him, God then transforms our hearts and minds. So the question becomes, how do we behold the glory of God in his word in such a way that we experience God, we get more of God, and are transformed into the image of Christ through that experience? Let me say that again. It's a long It's kind of like a, I don't know if you've ever read the Greek of the, Paul has these giant sentences. This is kind of like one of those. How do we behold the glory of God? in His Word, in such a way that we experience God, we, we get more of God, and are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ by that experience of God through His Word? That's the question I want to begin to answer today. That's the question we're going to be looking about. It's about experiencing God. It's about being transformed by God. And it happens through His Word and through prayer. Through engaging in His Word and through prayer. And I believe the answer begins with where we're going to begin today on meditation on the Word of God. We're going to get practical today. As I mentioned last week, meditation on God's Word is a, uh, it's a, a spiritual discipline. If you get a book of, there are books out there, I have several, called Spiritual Disciplines by different people. And meditation is in all the good books. All the good books. Meditation on the Word of God is a spiritual discipline. Which means it's not always easy. It's something we must set aside time And energy to do. It's something we must be disciplined to do. And it's my prayer that today we'll we'll not only come to understand biblical meditation in a greater way, but but we'll be convinced of just how great the rewards are when we put in the time and the effort and the energy into meditating on the Word of God. So would you join me in prayer as we as we come to the Word this morning? Father God, I pray for our time. I pray as we, as we look at your word, talking about your word, Lord, I pray you would open our hearts. You would, you would uh, reveal to us the truth that you have here for us. Lord, I pray that even now we could experience you in such a way that we would be motivated uh, to, on our own, spend more time in your word. Lord, I pray that if there are things uh, that are of me, that those would fall to the wayside. But everything that you would have us hear would be heard uh, loud and clear this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So let's begin just looking at the meaning of meditation. In Psalm 1, verse 1, which uh, Christina read for us this morning, we read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Not going to spend a whole lot of time on that particular verse. But, but, but notice the blessed man does not walk, he doesn't stand, or sit in the company of wicked, sinful, scoffing people. There's a time and effort uh, to do that. And this is not how the blessed, or the, the happy man, if you will, that's what the, the word means, the happy man, that's not how he spends his time. That's not how he spends his That's the setup for what's to come in verse 2. But Instead of spending his time with these things, the author makes it personal. But your delight must be in the law of the Lord. And on his law, you must meditate day and night. So we're clear what we're meditating on. The word law here in the Hebrew is is Torah. Which can refer to the first five books of the Bible. And probably did when the psalm was written because that was what they had. But the word Torah literally means instruction. So the Torah of the Lord refers to the instructions of the Lord, to the Word of God, if you will, both Old and New Testament. So so what does it mean to meditate on God's Word? In Psalm 1, the word meditate, it includes the ideas of pondering, uh, of thinking about, but it, liter- it literally means uh, to mutter. M- not mother, not my mutter, but my to mutter. To, to speak uh, like sort of under your breath even. You see, in ancient times, the scripture was res, res, was recited out loud from memory. Everybody didn't have their pocket. Well, we don't have those anymore. I used to have like a pocket New Testament or something, but now I have a phone that has my New Testament, Old Testament, 72 commentaries on this little phone. It's pretty amazing. Uh. So it means to, to mutter, but, but I think that, the, that idea of memorization is important as well. It's a very helpful part of meditation. It's not, it's not the, the key part, let me say that, which is good for us older folks who find it difficult-er than in the past to memorize. But memorization enables you to meditate even when you don't have the the pages before you. It enables you to think about uh, the Scripture throughout the day. We can mutter, ponder, think about them over and throughout the day. Clearly, uh, the kind of meditation, though, that the psalmist is talking about takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. And as I said, the older you get, it, it takes a little more effort, especially this memorization part. Take advantage. I just If you're young, uh, I, I so wish I would have memorized more scriptures when I was young because now it takes about, I'm going to guess five times longer, and I might be being generous. I memorize them, and then I come back the next day, and they're gone. So take advantage of your youth. Memorize the script. The most the scriptures I know the best are the ones I memorized when I was in my teens and twenties. Notice that meditation on God's work, God's instruction, is a uh, a day and night activity. And I don't think He means uh, just pick a time in the day and pick a time in the night, and you fulfilled the 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 must here. I, he's just saying it's it's. It's all the time. It's a day and night activity. It's what we need to be about. Instead of spending your time with wicked, sinful, scoffing people or activities, instead of spending your time in the things of this world, the things of our culture, the things that our culture says are valuable, the things designed to only entertain our flesh and influence our hearts and minds in godless ways, we're to spend our time day and night meditating on the Word of God, meditating, uh, muttering, pondering, thinking about God's Word. And this makes so much sense, doesn't it? If If it's really the Word of God, if it's really the revelation of God to humanity, what else would we want to spend our time doing? Allowing God, through His Word, to be the primary overriding influence in our lives, filling our minds with God's revelation of Himself, and his plans for you. This is very different from what we might normally think of as meditation. Uh, the, this idea has been influenced of meditation by, from the East. Eastern meditation is often focused on, on not filling your mind, but clearing your mind. Of not thinking about anything. Of reaching some kind of insight by emptying your, your mind in, in a transcendental... Not transcendental because that would be meditating on your teeth, I guess. Transcendental meditation, TM, for example, you're directed uh, to repeat a word or a phrase over and over, seeking to clear all thought from your mind so that focused attention is absent. But biblical meditation is specifically focused on filling your mind with uh, the Bible, Thinking about, pondering, gazing upon, beholding the truth of God's word. And I use that word truth, the truth of God's word for two reasons. First, because God's word is truth. Remember Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them. This is, he's praying this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We are sanctified, transformed by the the truth of God's Word as we allow it to enter in, to penetrate our hearts. But second, I use the word truth because if we're going to meditate, if we're going to ponder, if we're going to gaze upon the Word of God in such a way that we behold his, His glory and experience transformation into the image of Jesus Christ, it's ever so important that we're beholding the truth of God's word, that we truly understand what we're meditating on. Meditation on God's word means that we put in the time and the effort to understand the true meaning of what we're meditating on. And then we meditate on that truth, that true meaning. Sometimes uh, people read through their Bibles, read through scripture, looking just, they're looking for something to jump out at them. I'm just looking for something for my day, something to get me through the day. I need something to speak to them personally, something that it's talking to me without ever considering what a passage actually means. For example, this is probably a, 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 a famous example, a big one. We might read Philippians 4.13. Doesn't we know what Philippians 4.13 says? I can do all things. Is it up there? Oh, thanks for not, you can put it up there now. I can do all things, I guess I could look at that, but that is blurry. I could do all things, is it blurry up there? No, good. I can do all things through Him, Christ, if you will, who strengthens me. And we could take time to ponder that, right? Ponder all the things that we want to do in our lives, to think about our goals and our aspirations and to begin to envision and trust God even that He will strengthen me to accomplish exactly what I want to accomplish in my life. We could think about that. We could spend time on that. That might even be encouraging to us. Okay, God's going to give me the strength to get, get this business deal. He's going to give me the strength to marry this woman I really like. He's going to do what I want to do, strengthen me. But that's not what the verse means at all. It doesn't mean that God will give you the strength to do whatever you want to do. And all we need to do is back up one verse, take a little time and effort to read the verse before, maybe verses before, we only need one this time, verses after, and figure out what it actually means. Philippians 4.12 and 13. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abstinence, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The all things Paul's talking about are all of life's circumstances. Specifically, the difficult ones. Specifically, facing difficult Uh, circumstance. He's teaching that he and we can be content in all the circumstances because God gives us strength in the midst of those circumstances. So that's a little side sermon just to help us focus on we need to get the point of what it means before we start meditating on. So instead of meditating on how God will enable you to accomplish great things, Meditate on how God will strengthen you. How as you're going through this trial, this difficulty, that God is there and He will empower you to get through it. He may not take you out of it, but He'll join you in it. He'll strengthen you through the trials and temptations and troubles of this world. Now we'll talk next week a little bit more about how to, how to make sure we get the, the true meaning not always as simple as reading the verse before. We'll we'll add to that next week. But but I hope you see that meditation involves stopping to consider the truth of what you're reading. Sometimes we're so caught up, and I've done this before, because I have a checklist. I get so caught up in getting through my yearly Bible plan of five chapters a, a day, whatever you have to read, and I'm not opposed to that at all. But I think along with that, let me let me say this i am a po- if all you have is ta- the time you're set aside is time to just read five chapters uh, stop doing that take that same time read one chapter read half a chapter read three verses and actually think about them I'll actually do some of the things that we're going to talk about okay maybe i know uh, maybe use your time in your car to listen to five chapters but then take your time at your desk uh, to, to read a few verses, a few, put it in context. Okay. So sometimes we get caught up, I think, in getting through the Bible. But we, we never stop to ask the question, is the Bible getting through to us? Are we taking the time to allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts and minds? Meditation is more than reading, it's, a, it's even more than pondering. It's more than reflecting. It's applying the truth of God's word to our lives. And one, and one of the ways uh, that's been helpful to me to do that is to ask questions about what I'm meditating on. Tim Keller writes, To meditate is to ask yourself questions about the truth, such as, am I living in the light of this? What difference does this make? Am I taking this seriously? If I believed and held to this, how would that change things? When I forget this, how does that affect me and my relationships? These are just some examples that that Tim Keller gives uh, of questions that can help us meditate, ponder, think about, and apply God's word to our lives. Let me me give one example of how this worked for me during uh, my sabbatical. One of the books I I read during this time was the the pleasures of God by John Piper. Highly recommend it as with everything else he's written. Okay. And in the book he talks about God's pleasure that God takes pleasure in doing good to all his children, to all who trust in him. And one of the verses he he points out is Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 40. God is speaking about his covenant people both Israel and those who would be part of this everlasting covenant that he mentions, which includes all who trust in Jesus Christ. It includes me. I made sure I read through this. Uh, Piper talks about it in the book, and then I read through it, and I go, okay, can I apply this to myself? Is this truth for me? And I came to the conclusion, yes, because that's not always the case when we're reading the Old Testament. Sometimes it's, it's just for Israel, not the case here. So God speaking to me says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant and I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Now I meditated on this in verses before and after, but I just want to, for uh, our time, I just want to focus in on thinking about he will not turn away from doing good to me. I began to ask myself, am I living in light of that truth? Does my life reflect that I truly believe that God will not turn away from doing good to me? Am I taking this truth seriously? Am I living based on the truth that God right now is about doing good in my life? When I face difficulty, trials, temptations, do I believe God is right there doing good right then? And as I thought about it, I realized you know what? I have a pretty good theology. You know, I went to good, good schools. I've went to good churches. I know the truth of God's word. I've memorized Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. So yes, I believe God will turn away, uh, will will not turn away from doing good to me. I believe that in my head. But I also realized as I began to meditate. Because in the past, I would just pass over. Okay, yeah, that's true. I know that. I realized that really that truth that I've known for uh, lo these many years hasn't penetrated my heart. I knew this because as I pondered this verse, I realized that when I face difficulty and trials and really anything I don't like, I inevitably turn to worry. I turn to fear. What might happen? I I create scenarios in my mind of worst-case things, and I often act in fear, not in faith, that God is doing good in me. And so out of that time of meditation came a a time of, of realization of just how much God loves me and how much I don't actually trust Him. And that led to a time of prayer, a time of confessing my sin of unbelief, of lack of trust in God, and a time of asking God uh, to bring transformation, to change my heart, to allow the truth, this truth particularly, that He is always about doing good for me, to penetrate my heart, to take away my fears and replace them when, with faith in Him, especially when, when things aren't looking like I want them to look. Faith that He would never turn away from doing good in my life. And as a result, out of that time of meditation and prayer, I was transformed. Uh, I wasn't made perfect, but my fear was lessened and my faith in God was increased. I moved along the road of transformation through the process of meditating on the Word of God. And so by degree, I became in that time more like Jesus Christ. And it began with meditation on the truth of God's Word. Side note of a long way to go. So do we all, but there's that promise of degree by degree, moment by moment, God is involved in transforming us into the image of His Son. And I don't know how to say it any stronger. If you desire to experience more of God in your life, if you were singing that song, I Want More of You God if you desire to be transformed, to be more like Jesus Christ, then you must meditate, not just read, not even just study. You must meditate, think about, ponder, reflect, apply, ask questions based on the truth of God's Word. You have to make meditation a priority in your life. You have to set aside specific times, day and night, to read, to study, to meditate. Because you still have to read. We'll talk more about this next week. You still have to study. You still have to know. Get to, the, get to the meaning there. But then you have to take it into the application. To the meditation part of the word of God. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. We can't get past that. And, and I'll just add this. And, and we can do this together. This isn't just an alone thing. We're doing it now. This morning on Sunday mornings we we do it. We look at God's word. I hopefully help you maybe understand a passage in a different way. Hopefully the correct way. Be Berean Christians and go home and check me out. But then but then hopefully after a Sunday morning you've got a new passage of scripture that you can meditate on cuz we've studied it together. We do it in our small groups. We study passages. Tom was bringing to the elders some of the questions that his small group is asking about passages, and they're getting at the meaning of those passages. And then you can go home and you can meditate on those passages. You have to put in the time and effort, both as a congregation, as as individuals, to draw near to God, to behold His glory through His Word. This is really the first step in experiencing the transformation that God offers you, that God has for you, but I know, I know uh, personally, it can be difficult. Chad mentioned uh, that we, and this is this Southern California, busiest one of the busiest places in the United States, which probably means in the world. One of the great problems of our culture is that it's so f- filled with things that take our time, that take our effort, that take our energy. We have to make choices. We're only given 24 hours in a day, and and most of us have to sleep at least three of those, right? We have to make choices about how we'll use our time and energy. A lot of us uh, have actual jobs that aren't like mine, where I get to do this in my job. Sorry. That's why I get to come here and hopefully help you guys with what I've done during the week. But we have 40 hours a week given just to doing the work. And we have to do that. So we have to make choices, sometimes brutal choices with what we're going to do with our time. And sometimes our time in God's word and prayer gets pushed to the back burner. So I want want us to notice that Psalm 1, in Psalm 1, we're not only uh, have this command to meditate. First of all, it's a command. We'll we'll talk about that. Uh, You must meditate day and night. But we're also given the motivation of meditation. Verse uh, verse 2 again, Psalm 1. But your delight must be in the law of the Lord, and on His law you must meditate day and night. Again, law, instruction, the Word of God. So so we've seen that what it means to meditate. We've seen how meditation is the beginning step in transforming us, and so I hope that God is already motivating you. I hope you're a little bit man, I want to get to this. I want to get into meditating. I haven't done that before. I really want to stop and consider and reflect and ask questions about a passage in God's Word. I hope you're being motivated. But here in these verses, we see what our motivation can be. It's interesting how the author puts it. But your delight must be in the law of the Lord. Uh, notice it's a command. It's a requirement. It's even a duty. Your delight must be, but it's a duty uh, to delight. And that word delight means to take pleasure, to to have joy in. We're commanded to take pleasure in the Word of God. And what that says to me and and what I've experienced is this. Sometimes my heart isn't drawn to my Bible. Even though I know it's filled with God's life-transforming glory, I still want to take uh, delight in something else. I want to fill my time, my effort, my energy with something else. Uh, TV, movies, books, YouTube videos. Those first three were mine. Now these others aren't things I do, but I know they're a thing. YouTube videos, I don't understand them. Social media, I don't, I don't get it. But some other, uh, more, uh, more mindless entertainment is sort of, I think, our thing these days. That we want to pursue. Or, or even, you know, uh, those could be seen as though those are negative. Not, all, not in all cases, but in some. But even good things. But even good things can, can, can take our time away from uh, meditating. Spending time in God's word. Our, our family and our friends. Good things. Spend time with your family. Spend time with your friends. But don't do it to the expense of not spending time. With the Lord. The Lord, His Word, knowledge of Him, beholding His glory has to be a priority. But we're just not delighted to pick up our Bibles. We're we're a very forgetful people, I think. I know I am. Even, Even though we have, I pray we have, experienced God through His Word. There's been times in your life you've you've had the read through the Bible, you've been in a service, you've been in a small group, and you, God really spoke to you. You saw what you needed to do. You saw how you needed to change. Even though we've beheld His glory on Sunday mornings, we forget and we find it hard to open His Word on, on Monday. That's where the discipline comes in. And where we remember the command that your delight must be in the law of the Lord. You know, when you came to Christ... He saved you from your sins, but you said, you said, uh, you are my king. You are my Lord. You bought me with a price. I am no longer mine. I am yours. And therefore, we have to obey him. So our motivation, maybe it begins in the duty of obedience to the one who gave his life for us. We open our Bibles and we begin to read. Because Jesus Christ asked us to. He commands us to. We take the time and the effort to stop and consider what we're reading. To ask probing questions about how this verse is related to our lives. We pray that God would make his word a reality in our lives. And maybe we're doing that out of discipline. And when we do that though, and this is the, 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 the promise that, that I think the word gives and I'm giving, we find delight We find delight in the pages of our Bibles. Because what we experience there is the glory of God. The delight we receive from God's Word comes not from reading or even meditating on a book, on on words on a page. It comes from beholding the glory of God. Or experiencing God through His Word. The delight comes when through uh, the book... We engage and are transformed by the God who inspired the book. God's Word is God's way of revealing Himself to us. If you think about it, you're coming to His Word, but it's not just you're not just coming to words on a page. You're coming to Him, to what He's revealed about Himself to you. We cannot truly know Him or be transformed by Him without His Word. That's his choice. That's how he chose to reveal himself to us. Without his word, we would not know who he truly is. We would not know of his mercy and his grace. We would not know that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We wouldn't know that he's holy and pure and righteous and just. And God not only reveals himself to us in his word, he reveals his purpose and his plan, his instructions for our lives. Great delight. Great delight comes when we receive what God has for us. When we live how he's called us to live. Not to gain his favor, but to grow into deeper relationship with him. Do you know why God gives us commands and rules to follow in his word? Because he knows that when we follow those commands, it leads us into deeper relationship with him. Uh, Example, delight in his word. It's a command, but it's only a command because he knows that's what's best for you. Meditate on his word. That's what's best for you. Where there is a deeper and deeper delight, joy at the right hand, and pleasure forevermore as we enter into this relationship with God through his word. God is our creator, and God knows what's best for us. And God has written it down in a book, actually 66 books. That amazingly, uh, you know, Jeremiah is reinforcing Romans or Romans is reinforcing Jeremiah. It's a a one unit. And therefore, we must read it and meditate on it and apply it and delight in it. But maybe some of you are thinking, uh, well, that's well and good for you, uh, Pastor. But that hasn't been my experience. I've tried this. I've tried it. I try to read the Bible, but I find it not delightful. In fact, I find it dull. It doesn't make me happy, it makes me sleepy. Well, if that's the case, then then I have a word of encouragement and and a little bit of a challenge for you. It comes both from my understanding of Scripture and my personal experience. Here's the truth that I want to impart to you today. When I'm not delighted, and I'm going to speak personally, when I'm not delighted on God's Word, it's because I have an unhealthy delight in something else. I'm allowing the things of this world to bring me temporal delight, to fill me with some kind of delight. I mean, there are, sin is pleasurable for a season, right? I've allowed the wicked, sinful, scoffing things of this world, my culture, to get into my heart and my head. I've allowed the world to influence my thoughts and my emotions. So, of course, I mean, there's this contrast between the world and the flesh, and the devil, and and, and the Word of God, and God Himself. And so if I'm filling myself with those things, of course the Word won't delight me. But when I consistently, it takes time, it takes time, turn those things off, whatever those things are. When I take a step of faith, I'm not feeling it, but I take a step of faith, And I, and I say, I know there there's delight in the Word of God. And I obey, and I go to the Word on a consistent basis. I begin to experience this delight that the psalmist talks about. Maybe not every time, but let me say this. The more time I spend in the Word of God, the more delighted I am to spend time in the Word of God. So our motivation for meditation is twofold. First, when we're not feeling it, we can be motivated by the command to meditate. The command from our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In faith and obedience, we are to meditate on God's word, trusting that he's, He knows what He's talking about. He knows why He's given us this command. But that's not the final motivation we're offered. Ultimately, as we consistently experience God through His word, As we behold His glory, as we enter into prayer based on our meditation, it becomes a delight, a joy. And that delight motivates us, if we can remember it, it motivates us to return to God's Word again and again, day and night, to delight and meditate. And when we do that, that's just the beginning, by the way. We've got more stuff coming in weeks to follow. But when we do that, when we begin to do that, something begins to happen in our lives. We experience what we talked about for two weeks. We experience this transformation. That's what the psalmist points to in verse 3. He gives us the, the metaphor of meditation. Okay. The one who delights to meditate on God's Word day and night, he is like a, a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers do you see the metaphor do you see the, the picture there uh, do you see the the changes that take place in the one who delights who meditates on the word of God do you see a, a tree that has deep roots because it's planted where by streams of water the tree is is the man it's us and the, and the streams of water are the word of God, and because we consistently, when we consistently take in the streams of water day and night, we bear fruit. Our leaves don't wither. The picture is of a of a living, growing, full leafed, prospering, fruit bearing tree. And the thing we need to understand about trees is this: I'm not a treeologist. What are what are those guys called? Oh, man, you guys are smart. <laughs> I didn't even know that, and I'm, I guess I'm not smart. Okay. I'm not one of those guys, but, but I do know this about trees because I've seen them in, in my uh, yard and in, in forests. I used to live in South Carolina. If you want to see some trees, you live in South Carolina. You don't know, Southern California, it's like this desert, right? So I can drive and I know where I'm at because I can look around. You don't have any idea where you're at when you're in South because all you can see is trees. So if you like trees, move to South Carolina. Okay. I have no idea where I'm at. Ah, the thing we need to understand about a tree. Given they have what they need, uh, and they need some sunlight, right? You, Steve probably knows this stuff. Soil, right? And some water. Water. Anything else? Good soil, right? It has to be have some nutrients in it. They will naturally bear fruit. I mean, in general. You get some bad trees every once in a while. The tree does not have to work to bear fruit. Do you see what the implications are? If we are planted by streams of God's Word, if we delight in and meditate on God's Word, then, then we'll naturally bear fruit. Both internal fruit we'll be influenced, will be changed, we'll be transformed by the power of God into the image of Jesus Christ and external fruit. We'll have this positive, Christ-centered influence on others. We'll be blessed with a, a life of, of fruit-bearing, a life that prospers in whatever it does. And, and by prosper, I don't mean... The psalmist doesn't mean that you'll... just piles of wealth will fall upon you. He means that you'll succeed... In whatever God is, is calling you to, whatever God is directing you in. If you're intaking His Word, then you'll succeed in whatever God has for you. Because all we do will be based on our delight and meditation on the Word of God. Our focus will be on the Word of God, the will of God. And we'll succeed, we'll prosper, we'll bear fruit, we'll be transformed. And as we become more like Christ, we'll have a positive impact on the lives of people around us. Not by striving, not out of duty, not because we're earning God's favor, but because we're so nourished, filled up by the Word of God, by God Himself, that it will overflow into the lives of those around us. That's, that's really, in many ways, uh, the goal. To be so transformed by the word of God. To engage with God to such an extent that our lives, uh, like that tree, bear much internal and external fruit. Our meditation on the word will have an impact on the world. Jesus says something similar in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. I always find it interesting how Jesus, John 1, is called the word. Whoever abides in me, abides in the Word. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Abiding, uh, remaining, dwelling, staying in Christ, in relationship with God, through the Word and prayer results in bearing much fruit delighting in, meditating on God's word brings us into this abiding, staying, dwelling relationship with Jesus Christ. And the results again is, is much fruit. So I'd sum up Psalm uh, chapter one this way. If you want to be blessed, if you want to, and that that word blessed, we didn't talk much about it, but, but happy, satisfied in this life. If you want to be internally transformed by God, if you want more of God, as the song says, if you, if you want to be externally used by God in the lives of others, then you must delight and meditate on the Word of God. That's worthy of your time and your effort and your energy. Amen? That's where we're going to end today. Next week, we're going to talk more about how, how we practically meditate on and we'll transition into prayer Uh, based on the Word of God. But it's time now to uh, turn to the the Lord's table. However, as we do, as we turn to the uh, communion table, we're not turning away from meditation. Do you realize that communion is a time of meditation? It's this opportunity that Jesus gave His church on a, you know, we do it monthly, you can do it more, basis. When we come to the Lord's table to share the, the bread and the cup, it's a time of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. A time to stop, a time to think about, a time to ponder, to, to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us, to think about the meaning of of His broken body, of His spilt blood, to gaze upon the glory of God who sent His Son to die in your place and in mine, to behold His glory and to experience, as we behold His glory in the, in the symbols of this table, to experience a degree of transformation. It's my prayer that That as we experience communion together this morning, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that we'll, through this experience, be transformed into His image. With the ushers and the worship team, come forward as I pray. Father God, I pray for our time, our time of meditation this morning, meditation on the glory of, of God seen in the cross of Jesus Christ, seen in how far God was willing to go to reconcile us to himself, to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with him. Lord, as we meditate on that, as we think about that, as we symbolically uh, have elements to remember that, Lord, I pray you would penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds, penetrate our hearts, that we might be transformed one degree of glory to another into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the ushers are going to distribute the bread and the cup I'd ask that you hold on to to both so we can take them together. Also at Bridges, uh, communion is a time for all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. No matter if you're a regular attender or a visitor, you're welcome uh, to participate. And then Chad's going to lead us in a song as we distribute the elements.